And then 47 and 48 are going to talk about the complete and swift destruction of Babylon by Cyrus. And so the cool, after we finish 48, we have finished talking about what's called the great deliverance going from 45 to 48. And then we're going to move to a greater deliverance, and that's 49 through 55. It reminds me of when we were starting Soma and I would drive over close to where the Richies lived to pick up a gentleman from, to come with us to church. And on the corner of I and 10th, there was the Total Deliverance Church, and right across the street was the Greater Total Deliverance Church. So here's these passages, the, greater deli- the Great Deliverance and now the Greater Deliverance. But the Great Deliverance shows us just a picture of, of God saving his people from the worldly Babylon. And now the Greater Deliverance, we're going to see Christ delivering his people for God's glory. And then what's so great about what we're going to go through today, at least for me, it was almost a perfect match to the section we covered about three weeks ago, uh, that, that back end of the sermon I spoke on, it was from 45, 1 through 8, and that's the swift conqueror Cyrus. Now, God's big message here is he set up Babylon to perform actions in dealing with his people and their disobedience. But, but, they took it too far. They became prideful, and they believed they were the ultimate power and would reign in their role forever. Which is weird, because they hadn't been in power for that long, and they, but they incorrectly assumed that they were special. I guess their moms told them they were special. And they would endure... But all that changed in an instant. So we're going to break down 47 in the following sections. We're going to, we're going to go through them in these sections. We're going to go through verses 1 through 7, and it's God's divine vengeance on Babylon. So 1 through 7 is God's divine vengeance on Babylon. 8 through 11 is going to be pride consume them. Pride consume them. And 12 through 15 is their religion that failed. Their religion that failed. So let's go through the passage today. Isaiah 47. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on, a, sit on the ground without a throne, O daughters of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered, and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hands, and you showed them no mercy. 
On the age, you make your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be a mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember therein. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is none besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of a child, the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come to you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, of which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You were wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble, and fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, you have done business with, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you so much that we can come before you, our Redeemer, that we will see an earthly picture of, of God's people being re redeemed and saved. But it all points, it all points, Jesus, to you and your second advent of coming and saving us and pulling us out of this world into your promised land. We thank you for these pictures, we thank you for these reminders, and we just can't believe that you love us this much, that you will do this, and that you came in your first advent to save us. Amen. All right, verses 1 through 7, God's divine vengeance on Babylon. So 1 through 4, it's going to be God's divine vengeance on Babylon applied. And it says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. O Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. So God likens this great nation to that of a woman we're seeing. 
and he's going to talk about it in that fashion. So verse 1, you're going to see is also linked to verse 5 in this song that Isaiah is singing. And there's no doubt as to the genre of this song, Isaiah is singing the blues to the Babylonians. We see in, in both 1 and 5 the word sit in the same phrase, you no more shall be called. We will also see in verses 3 and 6 that God is speaking to the Babylonians. He's not using Isaiah here. Isaiah is singing, but God is talking to them in the first person. So verse 1, Babylon, Babylon has been humbled. Uh, you see it in the words, come down, sit in the dust. Come down from what? Come down from the throne. They were in charge. And now you will sit as a slave, sits, you will no longer have glory. Dust, as we see used in the Old Testament, is a sign of humiliation and mourning. Uh, most recently, going through Isaiah, we saw it in Hezekiah, but we also saw it with other countries, right? We saw um, as Jonah went to the Ninevites, these people that we're talking about now, basically, they mourned, even they had their animals mourn. So we see that as a cultural acceptance of mourning, sitting in the dust. Because Babylon was shielded. We see they were shielded from this word, from this rough world. We see that in words used here like tender and delicate. But it's no longer. It's no longer. Their protection has been removed and their pants are on the ground. Verses 2 and 3. Take the millstone and grind flour, put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers, your nakedness shall be uncovered, and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance. So, again, Babylon is seen as this well-protected woman and well-cared for, but suddenly thrust into the role of a slave. Um, they are no longer having ones pamper them, but they are now taking these millstones and grinding wheat for flour for the new ruling class. And some are shown as captives to be marched away, and we see that as they are stripped down and they are crossing a river out of their homeland. We saw that about a year ago in Isaiah 16. And 16.2 said, like fleeing like birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab, at the fords of the Arnon. That immediately when I read this in Isaiah 47 took me back to that. Because what we have here, we had these pictures of the women of, of Moab, they were unprotected. That means, that meant when the invaders came, they had full access to do with them whatever they wanted to with these women. Um, why were these people unprotected in Moab? It's because their leaders, if we remember that, had ran away, had gone away seeking help and left the people stranded. So God is telling Babylon, because of your pride, you will be stripped down like a captured woman, and this is due to God's vengeance. God said, no one, no one will be spared. And that's why God allowed Cyrus to take 
Babylon effortlessly, effortlessly and very quickly. And there was no more, all of a sudden, no more Babylonians, just the Persians in power. God took out the old rulers and quickly implanted the new ones. Verse 4 says, Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. God interjects this verse to remind, to remind everyone that the fall of Babylon was for his people. He is delivering them back to his home, to their home. In this short verse, we see God make three points here. He lets us know that he alone is our redeemer, and it's he alone is the right to act because he is our kinsman redeemer. Two, he is best suited to perform this, this role of a kinsman redeemer. He has proven it, and he has done it in the past. Exodus 6.6. 6. Exodus 6.6. 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. He alone has this power to perform this redemption. What an incredible kinsman redeemer. And then three says, as the Holy One of Israel, God alone has the authority to act on Israel's behalf. Verses 5 through 7, God's divine judgment on Babylon explained. We had applied, now we have explained. Verse 5, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall be no more, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. Babylon has lost all authority. And we see it in the order from God to them to sit in silence. Now, because before God allowed Cyrus to conquer Babylon, the Babylonians, they made all the rules, right? They were in charge. They made the rules. They gave the orders. Now they're told, you sit in the dust and you be quiet. And that's what slaves did. Dared, they dared not speak. Darkness, we see here, is a sign of loss of liberty. They are captive, and they lost all their positions. They are no longer the mistresses of the kingdom, the bells of the ballroom, the queens of the castle, and rulers of the world. Six says, I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. So 6 tells us God was angry with his people and he used Babylon as his agent for execution of his judgment on his people. But Babylon, while under God's direction, became an offense to him. God is saying, you know what? My people refused to obey, and I acted.
He shows us he gave them into the hand of the Babylonians, but they acted with no mercy. And mercy, you, the Old Testament shows us, you can't get away with that without showing mercy, even during acts of war. Deuteronomy 10.19 says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, or poor, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Psalm 68.5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He commands care for the poor and the needy in these following verses that I'm about to go over, which was so cool because I shared with Colleen as I was going through the McShane reading, both these passages were on the same day this week. Very cool. James 1.27. James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 8.4 says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. So the Babylonians were exceedingly hard on the old folks, the aged. And I believe if I looked this up, if I wrote it down correctly, that age is anyone over 59 and a half years old that you need to care for. Okay, as long as my family heard that. And why were the Babylonians so ruthless? In verse 7 it said, You said, I shall be a mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember therein. The Babylonians assumed they would rule forever, and, and therefore there was no consequences. If you're in charge, if you're the leader, you have, no, you have no consequences. Forever meaning continue, and mistress this thing meaning reign, signifying reign. With the belief that they would rule forever, they assumed no consequences for their action. Um, and God shows us that Amos 1.3 through 2.3, he will remember and punish all those who commit crimes against humanity. Crimes against humanity. So, now verses 8 through 11. Pride consumed them. We're going to see in verses 8 and 9, this pride led them, pride led them to believe they were superior to all. Starting with verse 8. Now therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. Now therefore makes a link between verses 5 through 7 and 8 through 9. Um, Babylon lived as if there was no consequences for their poor behavior, and now... We will see that there is. At the end of verse 8, we see the private thoughts of these people. They basically said, I'm it. There's none like me, and there is none that can challenge me. They believed they were secure, and they believed they were protected. 
And we know to live as a widow in this time or lose children was a disgrace and you were wide open to be pilfered. We see in the book of Ruth that Naomi needed a redeemer. She needed a redeemer. Her daughter-in-law Ruth came with her into the land and Ruth had to seek out scraps every day to ensure her and her mother-in-law Naomi ate. So we see the Babylonians were so proud they felt no one would ever experience any pain nor hardship, but we know that ended in a mere moment. 9 says, These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enhancements. Verse 9 tells us that not only will Babylonians lose it in the present, but the future, and it will all happen very quickly. Verse 9 matches verse 11 in the prophecy. It prophesizes that their rule will end quickly. And I love at the end of 9 how God basically, um, sarcastically, tongue-in-cheek, as only God can do, rubs it into him. He rubs it in at the end and says, in spite of your many sorceries and the great, empower, the great power of your enchantments, he tells them, despite all your human and your favorite human conjuring, your favorite little tools, your smoke and fire, your enchanting, all that, it's going to end the same as if you didn't have it. You're going to be sitting in the dirt, grinding to make flour, or heading off to another country as a slave. It reminded me so much of the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. How God just had Elijah just sit there and just mock them relentlessly. We serve an awesome God. Verses 10 and 11, they felt they answered to no one. 10 says, you felt secure in your wickedness, and you said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Verse 10 is close to verse 8. Verse 8 states that you do not have to consider other people, while verse 10 is stating, I do not need to consider God. This is dangerous, and it leads to ruin. Romans 1.28 says in regards to this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 11 says, But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin will come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Here we read about Babylon in three different ways, all saying the same thing. We see that the disaster, the evil, the disaster, and ruin shall come or fall upon them. They will not be able to charm their way out of it, buy their way out of it, 
And one major is, one major reason is, is the evil, disaster, and ruin is coming suddenly and quickly, and because of their pride, they will never see it coming. All right, verses 12 through 15. The religion that failed, the, their religion that failed. 12 and 13 points us to they had devotion without salvation. They had devotion without salvation. 12 says, stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. I can see this being said by God again with tongue in cheek. God had already said in verse 11 three times that they will not be able to handle the coming evil, disaster, and ruin. Now Isaiah is giving them a test on who will prevail, God or the Babylonian sorcerers and their magic sayings. 13 says, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. So many counsel here means an abundance of counsel. And weary may be referring to the conflict you get because they had so many gods. So you're getting all this advice based on who wants what fake God to say what? So it shows that they're getting wearied from all these fake gods. In verse 12, they tried to control the future. And now in 13, they want to know the future in advance, which is laughable because God is promising to save his people through the events of history, not from the events of history, it's like he said in Isaiah 46, 13 that Al went over with this last week. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion, for Israel is my glory. All right, verses 14 and 15. Babylon is deserted. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. So just like in chapter 46, we see that their small g gods cannot save them. And no people can save themselves. The flame here being shown to us is not a campfire suitable for s'mores or sitting around with family with a cozy blanket in a cool evening. The fire here is a forever inferno that will consume them, and they will suffer forever. Such to you are those, and this is verse 15, such to you are those whom you have labored. You have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. So what it's telling us is the Babylonians had this labor-intensive small-g God worship 
We see that in verse 15. It says, They have labored in the business of small g God worship since they were very young. And business signifies that this is a trade. This is like the idol worship we see the apostles dealing with. They went to other places. And when people accepted Christ, the silversmith and the coppersmiths lost business and became furious. And with this new Persian regime in control, the bottom is dropping out of the Babylonian God market. Um, and this stunned the Babylonian sellers, no doubt. And they are wandering off, dazed and confused, looking for what to do. And they are trying to get out of town. Their small g gods they pray to for protection cannot help them. And they're being hauled away as either slaves or, or forced to be forced into hard labor. So God uses Cyrus to bring destruction to Babylon and free God's people as we went over earlier when he came into power, he released them to go home. And God shared this prophecy 150 years before it happened. So it's great to see our God in his rule as creator and ruler of the world telling us what exactly will happen. And next week, we're going to start looking at greater prophecy from God as we discuss for the next four weeks the first advent of Christ. We will see Jesus on earth in the form of man to bring us a greater deliverance. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we could never begin to imagine how great you are, how great your love for us is, that you would provide this way to you forever. You willingly left heaven to come and walk amongst us, and we ignored you. We, we called for your death. But you are loving. And, and you did love your Father and us enough to come down and do this so that we, one day, will have a place with you in heaven forever. May we never take that grant for granted. Amen.